12, Psalm chapter 12, and uh, as you're turning there, um, let me say it is great to be back again. I do miss preaching. I miss those Sunday mornings when I'm not with you, and so it's great uh, to be back. If you're turning to Psalm chapter 12, you know, one of the many highlights in our trip to Italy was this optional excursion that the church provided for us, and it was a trip to a small Venetian island called Burano. And uh, it, uh, I googled it when I got back. It is known as one of the ten most colorful places in the entire world. And as we approached the tiny village, you could see the bright colors, like the pinks, like what Melanie's wearing, blues, yellows. And the interesting thing they told us was every little shop, uh, every little house uh, did not have the exact same color. And so you felt like Dorothy when she went into the Wizard of Oz and all of a sudden there was a brightness. I was sharing, uh, I, if someone were depressed, they could save a lot of money, not have to pay a counselor. Just go to this place if you were near it because there's no way that you could be sad in such a uh, a bright place. But as we were making our, cell, our way across the Adriatic Sea toward that uh, particular uh, island, there was something I saw that just didn't seem right. There was a tower in Burano, and the tower was leaning about like that. And, and of course, I'm the type of person, if a picture's just a little bit off-center at my house, I'm going to try to straighten it. But what perplexed me was we had just seen a leaning tower in Pisa. I've always heard of the leaning tower of Pisa. And so I thought, well, maybe my eyes have just become acclimated to that, and I'm seeing wrong. But as we got to the island and closer to the island, I realized that there actually was a leaning or is a leaning tower of Burano also. Uh, the builders built it on marshy land. It wasn't a good foundation. And while it, I don't believe its lean is quite to the degree of uh, the leaning tower of Pisa, most certainly uh, you can see that it lacked vertical integrity. It didn't seem right. And I'll be honest, if I were driving down uh, South Main and I saw a building in our uh, town of Farmville turn that way, I would speed through by that, being fearful that it might uh, fall on me. But you know, as we think of building, we think of vertical integrity. Uh, we, we, we expect things to be upright, to be straight. You know, as we look in Psalm chapter 12, we see that David while he's expecting righteousness to mark his world, instead found unrighteousness. And it didn't seem right. In a world where moral uprightness should be right, David found the exact opposite to be true. He said the ones who are faithful, the ones who are loyal, uh, they cannot be found anywhere, but those who manipulate with their words, who lie, who deceive, uh, they seem to be abundant. With that in mind, look with me at Psalm chapter 12. David writes, Help, Lord, for no one faithful or upright remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. 
They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say through our tongues we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? Because of the devastation of the needy and the groaning of the poor, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will provide safety for the one who longs for it. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. You, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. Let's pray. Lord, as we read these words uh, that uh, David wrote in this tiny psalm years ago, in some ways, Lord, it seems to describe even the days in which we live where righteousness seems to be fleeting, but, Lord, ungodliness seems to abound. And, Father, as we look at your word today, I pray you would uh, uh, lead us into your truth, lead us to you, that, Father, we might know how to live in what would be described as godless times, that we would seek to glorify you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm chapter 12 is a psalm written by David. It's a very specific psalm. It's one of a number of psalms that's known as a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of sorrow. Attached to music, it wouldn't have the bright music like those bright colors of Burano, but rather it would be a, a melancholy type of tune that would be attached to this, a, a psalm of sorrow. Uh, you know, I, I was studying this week. We don't know the exact context of this, but we can imagine. Think of the difficulties that David went through when he was fleeing from Saul, uh, when his son basically turned the kingdom against David, and David had to flee the city times when his own associates were giving him ungodly counsel. And so uh, we could... Uh, and then think even of the time when he was a man really without a people. Remember, he lived among the Philistines. The Philistines didn't really trust him. He wasn't uh, with Israel at that time, a time of loneliness. We don't know the context. It could have been a number of times. But the fact of the matter is David was feeling very alone. And it may be today that you feel alone, maybe in the workplace, maybe in your family. May maybe you feel like uh, you're a minority Maybe you feel like uh, all that is faithful, all the ones who are faithful have abandoned you. Well, the news for you today is that you're not alone because David felt that way. And we do know uh, one thing about David. He turned to the Lord because at the very beginning in, in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, help, Lord. I wonder today, have you been there? Have you been to the point where you've exhausted every human uh, resource that you had, every unction within yourself, and all you can say is help, Lord. I've been there, and I'm sure many of you have been there. It might have been when you were facing an injustice. It may have been uh, when something was happening to you personally or corporately that you could not fix. But David expresses raw emotion in this chapter, and his question is really, why are things like this? Why does wickedness abound and righteousness seem to wane? Well, this morning I want to look at this brief chapter, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you and for me 
as we understand how we're to live in these days in which we live. Uh, we're going to see today a, a, a specific issue that David was dealing with in the area of godlessness of those around him, and then we're going to see his twofold response to that. But first, I want you to see the issue that David faced, and it was this, ever-increasing godlessness around him. In Psalm chapter 12, as I first read this, the first thing that came to my mind was the prophet Elijah. And, and it's interesting, the first commentary that I picked up later that day, the commentator said the very same thing. So we must have been thinking along the same wavelength. But you remember Elijah, uh, who came after David. And you remember uh, when he stood up against the prophets of Baal and he had a spiritual highlight, but then shortly after that, he really went through a period of depression. Jezebel chased him out of the city. He fled for his life, and, and the servant of God, the man of God, was struggling emotionally. He was through depression to the point where he said, I wish I could die, and one of the very real emotions that he felt, even though God proved it not to be true, was he felt alone. He says, I'm the only one of God's prophets that are left. You remember, God said, I have 7,000 reserved that you know not of. And so God corrected him. But the fact of the matter is, even though it was not true, Elijah felt alone. And here in Psalm chapter 12, David feels the same way. And so he says, help, Lord. The faithful ones are few. The unrighteous are many. You know, we're living in a world today that has ever-changing values. We're living in a world today that is filled with people who try to influence things by their words. You know, often we focus on physical strength, but I would appeal to you that many people can use their words to manipulate, to put themselves in position, to elevate themselves. They can boast, and we see it everywhere. And so when David, in his day, looked around, he saw few people who were speaking the truth of God, few people who were loyal to God, but many people who were boasting, who were manipulating with their speech. And so the specific issue that he was dealing with related to speech. It, it, it was how people were speaking. You know, I, I did a little research this week, and it, it may amuse you, but it said that the average male speaks 7,000 words a day. That's a lot of words until you realize how many words the average female speaks, 20,000. Now, men say, amen, I hear you. My wife, she talks all the time. And I hear the women say, amen, at least we have some substance that we can talk about. And, and, and so we're not going to debate that. But there's a clear distinction. We use words. We communicate. The question is, do we weigh our words personally? Do we think about our speech? In fact, how many of the words that we speak are of or to the Lord in a 24-hour day? You know, we're in the midst of a study in the book of James, and in one chapter, in chapter 3 of his epistle, uh, James describes uh, the mouth like a spigot. And, and the spigot is that from which the water comes, but the source is not the spigot. It's just 
that the water comes through the Spirit. And he, he says that from a man's heart will come his speech. If his heart is not right with God, the speech will not be right. If his heart is led and controlled by the Holy Spirit, then the speech will be so seasoned. You know, as we think about it in David's day, his struggle was not with his speech, but the speech of those around him. The godlessness abounded. And it shouldn't really surprise us because speech is God's greatest instrument to communicate truth. And the devil also tries to do it. Think of it this way. God spoke this world into creation at the beginning. He, when he comes back with the sword protruding from his mouth, is going to bring this world, this age as we know it, to conclusion, beginning and end. But, but shortly after the beginning, what did the devil do through the serpent? He used speech to try to deceive and to deceive Adam and Eve. And, and what's going to happen right before the Lord Jesus comes back during the tribulation period Antichrist is going to be manifest, and guess who he's going to have alongside of him? The false prophet who's going to speak the propaganda. And so the, the devil is always uh, an evil, wrong impersonator. And so the devil will try to take words which God created uh, to be good and will try to distort those things. And so in David's day, he saw how the devil was using the words in people's lives. He speaks in verse 2, they have lying lips, they lie to one another. And then in, in also in verse 2, they speak with flattering lips. Now, I'm not a scholar in the Hebrew, I, w I wish I were, but as I studied more about that, that word flattery deals more with smoothness, like a smooth stone or uh, the skin of a baby or oil. It's smooth lips. Now, it doesn't mean you're just being suave in this context. Or, you know, if, if, if a lady walks in the room and says, how do I look? We may flatter and say, you look wonderful, no matter how they might look, because we realize uh, we, we need to, to issue the right answer on that. But it wasn't just to make someone feel good about himself or herself. But they were using flattery to try to impose power in their situation. They were using their words and using people in it. And David saw that. Notice what it says in verse uh, 4 of, of chapter 12 here. They say through our tongues we have power. You ever thought about how you use your speech? You use your speech most of the time to elevate yourself or to elevate others. You use your speech to try to manipulate almost as physical strength would impose one's will. You use your words and your verbal strength to try to impose your way, to try to lift up your, yourself. In David's day, that described many of the people, and so it burdened David. And, and, and not only that, we see boastful talk. Look at, at uh, verse 3. He says, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to demonstrate humility. We're not to boast. We're not to speak of ourselves. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I begin to talk, I catch myself using I, I, I too much, and I need to stop. And, and the Holy Spirit will guide us into that. But, but the purpose of our speech is not to elevate 
ourselves, but in David's day, uh, that was happening. So all three of these aspects, the lying lips, the manipulative tongue using flattery, the boasting and elevating oneself, all of those things are not to depict a follower of God, and they were not of David, but David was a minority. It would be like David would be in our context today in the workplace and everyone around him was using their speech in order to put others down, to build up, to, to disregard God. And so godlessness was being manifested uh, through that. You know, it can be difficult, can it, to be around people who have such speech, ones who boast, who flatter with, with wrong motives, who lie. And I'd like to say that God would remove those people, just move them to another division or move them to another part of the building. But the fact of the matter is, uh, that doesn't happen. Not in this world. In fact, as I was reading Psalm chapter 12, and I'll be honest, I've not spent a lot of time in my life studying this particular chapter in depth until this past week. However, there is something that jumped out at me and it's verse 8. It says, The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. Now, this is, you say, what, why are you saying that, Rick? Because that's the last verse of this particular psalm. And, um, you know, uh, for you ladies and some men, I know you're out there, it, it's getting ready for the Hallmark Christmas movie season, all right? And uh, I shared, I think, about a year ago, if you watch those things, I can save you a lot of time. It all works out well in the end, and it's usually somewhere between seven and nine minutes before the movie is over. It all turns. You can look at it. I, I mean, it's almost seven to nine minutes before the hour. Everything comes together good. Psalm 12 in that way. Now, there are other psalms that are that way. Psalm 42 begins with a lament, begins with stress, and Psalm 42 ends with these words, Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. But the interesting thing is there's no addendum of a, of a verse 9 like that that brings it all and says it's all going to work out. In fact, Psalm 12 begins with the lament and the struggle then in the middle it says God is the strength and God speaks his word that he will give strength. But then at the end he goes back and says, nonetheless, the wicked are still prowling all around and the worthless one is exalted by the human race. Why is that? Because we live in a fallen world. And sometimes God will remove situations where we won't have such influences but sometimes when you are moved from one area, you may be in another area because we live in a world where that's true. Well, the question is this. If it's not going to necessarily change and be all corrected and made upright in this world, how are we to respond? Well, David had a twofold response. The first was this. He just sought God. David had a God consciousness. He was aware of God. You know, many times we, we live our lives and we're not conscious of God. We get in a crisis or a situation, we begin to think, how am I going to work out? Or we may try to use our speech to work around it and use that power play or whatever. But David had the wisdom to understand 
that he couldn't correct his situation, and so he said, help, Lord. He had a God consciousness. He knew God was with him. A man named J.B. Coates wrote the words to one of the most familiar gospel songs of the 20th century. You'll know it as soon as I say it. Where could I go but to the Lord? Coates was a musician and a hymn writer, but he wrote this song in honor of a neighbor. He had visited a neighbor, a man named Mr. Keyes. Mr. Keyes was on his deathbed, and with evangelistic fervor, uh, J.B. Coates wanted to know that this man was ready to die and would go to heaven. And so he asked him, uh, where are you going to go when you die? And the gentleman responded, where could I go but to the Lord? The first verse of the song goes like this. Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. Striving alone to fight temptation sore, where could I go but to the Lord? David could have written those words because David not only here but elsewhere realized when it all came down to it, it was the Lord. In fact, I was reading just this morning in Psalm 2710, he said, Even if my father and mother desert me, Lord, you will care for me. And so he was confident. Even though on the horizontal uh, plane there was no support, he realized that his support was with the Lord. Uh, and, and again, David is led by his emotions here. Were all the faithful ones gone? They weren't. They weren't. I, I'm, I'm certain there were other faithful ones, but his emotions to him were really real, and God met him where he was. His emotions told him otherwise. You know, when our emotions are raised and our souls are downcast, we just have to take a time out, don't we? Uh, our, our daughter-in-law is a great mother, and she calls it a reset. If, if uh, our, our granddaughter begins to get a little irritable, if she's lacking, um, you know, sleep and she gets a little irritable, very calmly our daughter-in-law will say, Karis, it's time for a reset, a reset. And many times spiritually we need a reset. When our soul is downcast, when our emotions are controlling us, we must stop and look to the Lord. He's the anchor to our soul. He's a strong tower. He's our rock and a refuge. If you feel alone in this season of life as a Christian, you can turn to him. Listen to the competent testimony of David. He said, you, Lord, verse 7, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. He didn't say you would remove them, but you would guard us and protect us from their influence. And most certainly in verse 5, God did so because he said, I will rise up. But I want you to see a second thing. Not only did he seek God, help Lord, but he also sought God's word. And to be honest, the two are very closely related. Because to seek God is to seek the word. In fact, Jesus himself is known as the word of God. He is God revealed to us. But here, David is speaking about the written word. Now, again, what's happening in David's day, all types of words. Boastful speech is coming out. Manipulative language. People are movers and shakers and their, their uh, tongues are smooth and they think there's no power over it. And David reflects in that about God's word. 
he says in verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. So we see the contrast here. Man's words, they're distressing David. God's word is providing comfort. His solace was in God's word. You know what a blessing it is to sit down and read God's word. In fact, it's good to stand up and read God's word. But I wonder today, have you fallen away from the word of God? Have you fallen away? This Wednesday, we're in our study on the kings of Judah, and we're studying Josiah. And one of the beautiful things we're going to study this week that happened in Josiah's day, there was a revival around the word of God. The priest Hilkiah found the law of the Lord, and they, they rejoiced in it, and they obeyed it. And so here, as we look at David, he was rejoicing in the word of the Lord. In a day when everyone's words were distressing him and shooting at him like arrows, he rejoiced in God's word. What does he say about God's word? It is tested and found true, like silver refined in an earthen furnace. It is pure without blemish, just as that which comes out of the furnace will be. And it is complete, lacking in nothing. He says, purified seven times the number of completeness. When do we need God's word? When don't we? We always need it. Every day we should be in God's word. It gives instruction. It gives counsel. It gives encouragement. It gives wisdom. It gives support. And it gives us a solid ground on which to stand. I wonder today, would you renew your commitment to the word of God? Sometimes we say, I don't know where to begin. I'd be glad to share with you or someone else. But, but I'll be honest, just let God lead you into the word. It may be a psalm. It may be in the gospel of John. You know, one of the struggles in the Christian life is we can become so familiar with God's word, we lose our passion for the word of God. But the beautiful thing is we can always get back on track with the word of God. You know, one of the great delights in our trip to Italy, everybody asked, what was your favorite food? I hate to say it was gelato. You, you're probably thinking some Italian dish that was cooked in an oven or out over an uh, open uh, stove. But no, it, it was actually gelato. And the only person I know on the trip that liked it more than me was Karen. And sometimes I would think every afternoon she'd be sitting, she'd have a gelato. She said one a day, but... It may have been a couple days with her, even two. <laughs> but gelatos, they're delicious. I mean, they, ice cream can't compare, in my opinion, okay? But what we found out was we had a daily routine. In fact, Karen would be about mid-afternoon, and she'd say, I need my gelato today. And then I would try to act spiritual that I wasn't, and I'd either get my own or try to eat off of hers. But it became a habit for us, and it happened very quickly. You know, and, and I was thinking this week, God's word ought to be that way. It ought to be a delight. It ought to be a habit, a routine, not under compulsion, but because we enjoy it. Think of it. God wrote his word. He wants you to hear his word. So we shouldn't, we're not working against God when we develop the routine of 
studying God's word, meditating on God's word. Listen, David was living in a, a situation where godlessness seemed to prevail, and he needed the anchor of the Lord himself in God's word. If that was true in David's day, I believe it's just or more true today. And we need our kids in the word of God. We need our children. Our children are being fed lots of propaganda. A lot of that is out away from us, and, and we you know, don't see it day to day. But we can make sure that they hear the word of God. You know, it's hard to believe it was just a little over a week ago that uh, we left Italy. And I want to thank you all for all the prayers because you all remember when I came back from India uh, back about two or three years ago on the mission trip, it took two or three months to get acclimated uh, my, my sleep schedule. But I've already gotten back toward my schedule. I appreciate uh, the prayers on that. But it's, it's hard to believe it's been a little over a week. But guess what? I'm sure those towers are still leaning. I haven't heard a news report coming out of Pisa or Burano. They're still leaning. But that's okay. And when we look at the world around us, as verse 8 says, all that's around us may not change, but it's okay. Because God will be our strength. He'll be our refuge. He'll protect us, surround us. And we have God's word to get our bearing against you. So let's, let's commit as we go into a new church year. What we read uh, about here in Psalm chapter 12. And in the days in which we live, and, and don't get me wrong, we're to do everything as salt and light to seek to impact our world. We're supposed to. That's our mandate. Workplace. We're, we're, to, we're to stand strong. But realizing that no matter what happens around us, we have the Lord and his word to lead us through. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for your word here. Lord, to be honest, a chapter in, in my life and ministry that has not drawn a lot of attention. But, Father, we thank you for uh, David's uh, just earnest plea to you today for the example that he is. Lord, and we thank you for your word. And, Lord, there may be some here today going through loneliness, or maybe not even loneliness, but a, a time of, of uh, a desert time in the spirit away from the world. The beautiful thing, Lord, is we can always come back to you. And, uh, Father, our prayer today is help, Lord, help us to live as representatives of you in this world that is so filled with darkness. May we glorify you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is number...